Are you struggling to hire diverse tech talent? After all, every organization in the world is now a tech company. And the ability to attract, hire, and retain tech talent from all backgrounds is critical to their success. Enter Hackajob, a reverse marketplace that actively vets engineers. We flip the traditional model on its head, meaning companies apply to engineers versus candidates applying to jobs, with companies getting an 85% response rate to candidates they reach out to, as well as exposure to tech talent that directly meets their organization's diversity objectives. Companies such as S&P Global, CarMax, and Sensor Tower are all using Hackajob. Why not join them? Go to hackajob.com slash cheese to get your free 30-day trial today. Go to hackajob.com slash cheese to get your free 30-day trial today. Some podcasts do it for the fun. Some do it for the fame. Chad and Cheese, they do it for global effing domination. That's right. Bringing America to its knees was just the beginning. Now, they have their eyes set on conquering Europe. And they've drafted industry veteran Levan von Neuerhauser of Belgium to help them navigate the old country and bring HR's most dangerous podcast across the pond to trash talk like never before. Not safe for work in any language. The Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. Oh, yeah. Germany will have a new chancellor this month. That's always worked out pretty well, right? You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Maginot Line Cheeseman. And I'm Chad, vaxxed and relaxed, so wash. I'm still just leaving. <laughs> On this episode... <laughs> Google's mantra used to be don't be evil, but breaking the law might be a better one today. Giggers are starting to be recognized as employees in the old country, and diversity recruiting isn't just an American thing. And speaking of diversity, we have four middle-aged white men on today's podcast. Let's party like it's 1957, (laughs) shall we? Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh-huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text Kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, Okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's 
T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> we have a, a mystery guest, right? This this week? Yes. Okay. <laughs> straight out of Europe, kids. Straight out of the <laughs> straight out of the UK. Wing straight out of a... Scotland at twenty seven stones. I don't even know what that is. How many? How, how, how heavy is twenty seven stones? Weighing in at thirty two pints. He's that British guy, Matt Alder. Everybody, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, 27, 27 stones is a lot more than I actually weigh. Just to just to, just to, to, to set the record straight at this point. How much is a stone? I, I don't. I don't understand. What does a stone weigh? I don't know. I don't know what it is in newfangled <laughs> weights measures, I'm afraid. Well, then let's get to who you are, Matt, for those who don't know. Absolutely. I'm Matt Alder, and I am the host and producer of the Recruiting Future podcast, which is a proud member of the Evergreen HR podcast network, um, like, like the Chad and Cheese show. Unlike the Chad and Cheese show, my podcast is very safe for work. <laughs> And everybody loves Matt Alder. Let's just say that. There are plenty of people who don't like Chad and Cheese, that's for sure. He's very <laughs> British and hard to dislike. Yes, he is. Thank you, if you will. Shall we get to shout outs? Yeah, my first shout out goes to you, Joel. Are you ready? Oh, I like that. How does it feel to be in the most backward country in the civilized world right now? The U.S. is at... <laughs> 54.5% vaccination. The UK, represented by Matt Alder, 66%. Belgium, represented by Levin, 72%. And Portugal, <laughs> 80%. Are you fucking kidding me, US? Come on. The last I heard, the, the entire continent of Africa was like 1% vaccinated. So I take a little, I take I a little offense to that. Oh, okay. Dis, yeah. dis Africa while you're at it. That's nice. That's nice. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna trade in my shout outs for for two questions this week. I'll ask the first one, and then Wait, you guys. Let's can ask give the judge. Questions. Is this allowed? Okay, he says it's okay. Go ahead. I don't know who the judge is. It's our fucking show. Uh, anyway. So my first question is, and I mentioned it in the beginning, is that Germany is getting a new chancellor, which means Zippo to most Americans. But Germany is the biggest economy in Europe, yeah. uh, as far as I understand. So I want to ask the Europeans, what does Germany getting a new chancellor? What does Angela Merkel leaving mean to Germany? What does it mean to Europe, particularly from an economics perspective? Who do you guys expect to win? What's going on in Germany? Mats, do you have a clue? I don't. I'm not a close follower of German politics, to be to be perfectly honest. And I think this kind of underlines the fact that Europe is a lot of different countries. <laughs> so, whilst uh, you know we completely like, completely understand the significance of the German election and the significance of the German economy within Europe, I couldn't really tell you much about who the runners and riders are. Okay, now I'm going to call out Europe then, because Americans get a lot of shit for being stupid and not caring about the rest of the world and not caring about anyone but ourselves. And now you two Europeans come on our show and don't know shit about the German election, the biggest economy in your continent. So as an American, like that says a lot, like we're not as bad as Europe. Maybe we're a lot alike, which is sort of the which is sort of the whole point of the show is how similar we are. 
Quit bashing America, Europe. That's it. It's just so easy right now. You're so happy we didn't know about the German politics. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, I thought you guys would be able to tell me more about American politics than I would. And the fact that you don't even know what what's going on in Germany is sort of is sort of heartwarming as an American. I can probably tell you more about American politics than I can about German politics right now. I do have a shout out though. Um, I would like shout out to Scotland. Um, the Scottish government announced uh, a couple of weeks ago that they are going to trial a four-day working week oh. in some parts of the public sector. So that's awesome. Um, that's that's exciting news. Yes. Does that include podcasters? I already <laughs> work four days anyway, so um, they're just catching up with me. Chad won't let me work four days a week. A oh yeah, because you only work two. <laughs> Lies. Works four days, man. It's really, really busy. Lies. Yeah, I've got a shout out too, and this time I'm going to shout it out. My shout out goes to Ivan De Witte. He's the president of my favorite soccer team, AA Ghent. And according to newspaper The Tate, he's about to sell his HR company Hudson for the second time. And I actually thought it's it's an interesting story. He founded De Witte Morale in 1982, sold it to EY in 1995. EY sold it to TMP Worldwide in 2001. And then in 2003, TMP was split up in Monster and in Hudson. De Witte Morale was merged with Hudson and Monster was sold to Randstad. And now Ivan bought, in, uh, bought his company back in 2018 for uh, a dime. And now at age 73, he's selling the company back again to Randstad. Yes. So they probably feel they bought the wrong part of TMP in 2016 and uh, want to make up for it. And I think they're going to monster again. I think that's what we call in America double dipping. Double right. dip, baby. And while we're while we're talking about double dipping, uh, so the first of July of this year, the rules of paternity leave in France have changed. Now, new fathers are entitled twenty five days leave. That seems pretty awesome to me. I, I don't know why we can't all get twenty five days leave. Oh, why not make it fifty? <laughs> yeah, Canada's. Canada's insane. Canada's like six months or something. Canada's like equal to the woman, which sounds really sexist and we'll probably get canceled with that comment, but how many days it is in America? Zero. Okay. So first off, just biologically, I've never carried a baby or performed a labor, but it feels damn hard. So you would think that mom would want some time off or at least a little bit of a break. If dad's going back to work as soon as humanly possible, that just doesn't seem good for for the family overall. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe divorce rates. Is this something that we see in Europe as kind of like a standard or are the French kind of like leading in parental leave for, for Matt? Do you guys know? Yeah, it's it's different in every country, but it's uh, you know the the principle is fairly standard. So in in the UK, you actually have shared parental leave, so you can um, the either uh, e- either parent can kind of sort of switch in and switch out. Um, so you can kind of share the um, the the time between you. And everywhere, it's all it's all government mandated, right? Yeah. Whereas in the US, it is not. Freewheeling capitalism. If it doesn't get paid, fuck it. Uh, so I'm going to get to my next question. So of, of my two questions, one is of global importance and the other sort of, of light and airy. I'll let the listeners figure out which question is which. But uh, I have a question for our stylish European uh, guests. 
I hope you've seen this. Facebook is launching new glasses, smart glasses, if you will. They've partnered with Ray-Ban. You guys remember Google Glass? Oh, my God. You probably remember, you probably remember Snapchat's uh, lenses or whatever they had. <laughs> and now Facebook is coming out with their version, which they've probably backed up the Brinks truck to Ray-Ban's headquarters, Luxottica or whoever owns them. Anyway, I know that I'm not going to wear them in America, but I don't have the fashion sense that you Europeans do. Is Europe going to embrace Facebook's Ray-Ban smart glasses? Yes or no? Levin? Nuts. What'd you say? Nuts. Like your uh, general in uh, 1944 <laughs> in the Bastogne bottle set. Yes. Nuts. Okay. Nuts. <laughs> Matt, you're a pretty stylish guy. Are you going to be first in line for uh, the Facebook glasses? Well, I actually wear Ray-Bans. The glasses I've got on at the moment are Ray-Bans. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it sounds like an upgrade, but I, I don't think I'll be upgrading. Oh, that, that be sounds, oh, I, I don't know. That, that sounds like a maybe, Matt. That sounds like a maybe. <laughs> Joel yeah. just loves the VR. Just the privacy <laughs> implications of letting Mark Zuckerberg look through my eyes is uh, is a bit too much for me. Oh, you're so naive. Joel just wants to play Fortnite and not look like an idiot. <laughs> I can't even spell Fortnite correctly. Ask my son. Ask my son. Well, let's talk about travel real quick, Chad, because uh, you and I are still scheduled to be in Europe on Thanksgiving which is a little bit offensive to an American like me, but I'm still on schedule to be there Thanksgiving day uh, in some Bayside town in Belgium. Uh, Levin, you can give us some specifics on what's going on, but Chad and Cheese will be in Europe in November. Ah, I get to promote my Congress again. Nice, nice. November 25th, we have the e-recruitment Congress, as I said, last edition of the show. It's in Austin, Belgium. It's a whole day day of um, recruitment technology, three keynotes, 12 breakout sessions. If you want to stay in the know, then uh, you come to the Congress. Love it. And if there are no other shout outs, let's get to the news, shall we? Topics! All right. Google's been naughty, you guys. This is from a huge store in The Guardian, in case you want to Google it and find out more. Google has been illegally underpaying thousands of temporary workers in dozens of countries and delayed correcting the pay rates for more than two years as it attempted to cover up the problem. Documents uncovered by The Guardian show Big G dragged its feet to correct disparity after learning it was failing to comply with laws in the UK, Europe and Asia. Google execs have been aware since at least May of 2019 that the company was failing to comply with local laws. Of the top seven countries affected, all but one is European, and the UK having the most contract workers at Google are affected the most. Given the high turnover rate of temporary workers, the number of workers affected by Google's failure is estimated to be in the tens of thousands. Well, let's start with the representative from the UK. Matt, what is Google doing? It's pretty bloody bad, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> it is pretty bloody bad. Um, and that's where one, <clears throat> that's, that's certainly a way of describing it. Um, I, I think what's interesting here is it really underlines the complexity of employment law and labor laws across the, um, across the world. And, you know, that, that complexity is, is, is essentially what they're, what they're, what they're hiding behind. And, 
big implications for for what they and other large companies might be uh you know trying to trying to conceal and not deal with but but also on the flip side i think it's interesting that uh you know sometimes we talk about uh global talent pools and recruiting people all all around the world as if it's a really really easy thing to do mm-hmm. um and i think this just kind of really underlines the the complexity of um you know running 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 a global business yeah, but you can't tell me that Google doesn't have an army of accountants and lawyers who knew oh, this no, was happening. Know. I mean, especially, especially in companies with pay parity laws. Now, maybe 10 yeah. years ago, but they're much more mature globally. So, yeah, they're hiding behind shit. But the big question for me is, which country is actually going to slam the hammer down on Google with a real fine and not just some pittance? Because we've seen countries hit Google and Facebook with small fines. And all that really does is send a signal to all the other companies out there saying, okay, yeah, no, that's affordable. I can pay that tax. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some context for Americans, uh, there are more than 30 countries, including the UK, uh, many EU states in India and Taiwan that have enacted these pay parity laws, which are basically equal treatment laws that require temporary workers to be treated equally to full-time employees who perform the same or similar work. So to Chad's point, you know, I, I really think that particularly in big tech where there are global businesses, like whether it's Facebook combating, you know, facial recognition issues here in the US or whether it's Google fighting media in Australia and other parts of the world, I think that the accountants get in the room and say, okay, let's do an, an analysis on what it's going to cost us to, uh, you know, uh, um, take this back to court, uh, to pay the fines, to bend the law, file another appeal, et cetera. Uh, basically time this out as much as we can until we have to pay a $10 million fine, a hundred million dollar fine. I think Google's highest is in the billions, which is still sort of cushion couch cushion money, uh, for them. And by the time they've, you know, uh, by the time they have appealed these laws, you know, their stock is up 40%, which makes it much easier to pay the piper, if you will. So the math and the algorithm on these fines and these legal issues with Google and other tech companies, to me, is just a math problem to them. And unless a country comes in with like a huge, huge, huge fine, nothing is ever going to change. This is just going to be the way it is. I think that's an interesting point because it it's kind of like how big is a huge fine because uh, you know a huge fine for you know for the likes of google and 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 facebook and and these 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 other companies is 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 just vast i mean i was just um looking back to see uh who'd been fined in the in the uk for sort of various things and i found that you know fa- facebook were fined half a million pounds for cambridge analytica <laughs> harvesting data in 2019 yeah. half a million pounds i mean that's just um a rounding error isn't it and my guess is there are probably limits to how much uh, a fine can be in a lot of European countries. Whereas, whereas in America, it's a very litigious culture. You can sue everybody for anything, and you could probably win, you know, win tons of money. But my guess is, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a judicial expert, but my guess is a lot of these countries probably have limits or rules around how much a fine can be for certain crimes. And that yeah. dollar amount is probably nothing, you know, to what these companies earn in revenue. Oh, yeah, well, take a look at take a look at just the revenue in the U.S. It's like 161 billion dollars, and that was from a couple of years ago. Uh, to be able to take a serious chunk out of that, billions of dollars out of that, is when they start 
when they start to actually notice and then they will change behavior. But, you know, the U.S. is not going to do that. Right. So, you know, back to Matt and to Levin, do you think that any of the EU at all, any of the countries within EU have the brass balls to actually smack Google hard enough for them to actually give a shit? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they will someday. <laughs> not, not, no, no time soon. Maybe uh, the uh, successor of Angela Merkel will in Germany, <laughs> whoever that might yeah. be. Yeah. No, but um, money's on France. To me, it's strange that there is no such thing in the US as uh, equally pay. I mean, it's all about uh, women and men getting paid equally and about the racial stuff, etc. Yeah. But in my opinion, it's normal that uh, temporary workers should be treated equally to full-time employees. Yes. Why isn't Why isn't it the case in the US? It's it's weird. Yes, because of margins. It's very simple. In the U.S., we are very focused on one thing, the almighty dollar. That's for the past at least 50 years. That's what the focus has been. Yeah, but I mean, um, why just don't pay them all less? Well, I think a lot of it is, you know, like we treat small businesses differently than we do bigger businesses. And so if you have a certain amount of workers, are they full-time workers? Or are they part-time? Then you have to pay them health insurance, which I think is probably where this the answer really lies is that the line at which someone has to pay uh, health benefits is usually dependent upon how many full-time workers they have and they don't have to pay full-time workers health insurance. So there tends to be more health care or more more temporary workers or part-time workers because of that. So a lot of it, I think, is limits on at what point do you have to start paying? At what point do you come under regulations that make it harder to to do business? And in America, we try to we try to put people in pockets to where we don't have to pay health benefits. We don't have to pay other benefits and, and other things. Um, so my short answer is I think a lot of it stems through our healthcare system. Yeah. And the things that you guys automatically have embedded into everyday work life, which is what we don't. But I'm working for the temping industry, so I'm a bit biased here. How we get first, first, it's much better if everyone gets paid equally, of course. Yes. And it didn't be, it wasn't like that um, some years ago. So we changed to, but I think for the company culture, it must be devastating if you have two types of employees. Let's say we have an A type for our own employees and we pay them well and we give them benefits. And then you have the B type, which are temporary workers. It's yes. crushing for the company spirit. Oh, but you're a temporary guy. Okay, go away. I nah. think we've always done it that way and we, we probably don't see it the same way. Maybe. Because of margins. Matt? Mm. Um, just on that fine and which country, um, this is, you know, this is what the EU's for. Um, the the EU as an entity is 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 kind of is is big enough to go after Google. So um, I, it would be interesting to see what happens at that kind of EU level. Do you think there's too much bureaucracy that would actually have to happen between all those different countries to be able to smack Google that hard, or do you think that that's it, it was pulled together nimble enough to be able to actually do something like this? Well, that's the question. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the answer, <laughs> but I suspect, um, I suspect you're right. I think I put my money on, on France in this case. Yeah. They're, they'll be the first to, uh, to try to get some money out of Google. <laughs> some real money. Yeah. Give it a try. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Human resources is supposed to be about humans. I mean, it's right there in the name. 
But when your hiring team is more like an assembly line glued to their computers, manually posting heaps of jobs everywhere they can think of, that human part feels nowhere to be found. This is a new era. Pando IQ takes the mind-numbing copy-pasting and nerve-wracking guesswork out of the job posting process. When you plan a hiring campaign with Pando IQ, you tell us who you need. Then, before you ever spend a cent, we predict what it will cost to find them. Pando IQ chooses the ideal recruiting sites from thousands of options, targeting the ones your next great hire frequently visits, then fires off your ads at precisely calculated times, surfacing the most relevant applicants for you to pick from. Now you're free to get to know the best talent. Build great teams and take care of your humans. Pando IQ will do the rest so you can get back to doing what the computers can't. For more information on Pando IQ, go to pandologic.com. That's pandologic.com. So we talk a lot on the weekly show about California's Prop 22, which would mean gig workers on platforms like Uber and DoorDash will have to be treated like employees. Hundreds of millions have been spent on media campaigns by said platforms to make sure the proposition doesn't become law. But in Europe, we have our first examples of giggers as employees. In Spain, after less than a month of debate, the Spanish Congress approved the writer's law, which presumes writers to be employees. The response from platforms shouldn't surprise anyone. Deliveroo announced it was ending operations in Spain, which will result in more than 3,000 riders losing their jobs. Glovo, the largest delivery platform in Spain, indicated it would only hire a relatively small part of its workforce, 2,000 out of the 12,000. Uber Eats has reached agreements to subcontract its riders from third-party distributors, essentially washing its hands of a direct relationship. Meanwhile, in Amsterdam, nearly 4,000 Uber drivers are now considered employees. The judge who ruled said, quote, real self-employed workers can determine their own rate and determine how they carry out their work. This is not the case with drivers who drive for Uber, end quote. As a result of the ruling, Uber must place its drivers on the payroll and pay according to the collective labor agreement for taxi transport. Shockingly, Uber will appeal the ruling. In the UK, Uber has already been defeated three times until the British Supreme Court finally settled the dispute earlier this year. About 70,000 British drivers are now entitled to the minimum wage, paid holidays, and other protections. And in Belgium, the Belgian Taxi Federation filed a lawsuit against Uber because it is a, quote, hidden taxi service. What a mess, guys. Let's dig into this. Matt, it seems the Brits have accepted this fate. How'd they pull that one off? Well, it's interesting, and it's something that's been rumbling on for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, February, um, it was kind of ruled that the Uber drivers are entitled to workers' um, workers' rights. So that's things like holiday, sick pay, um, uh, all those kind of things. Interestingly, and um, apologies if I got this wrong, because it's a very fast-moving thing. So um, my understanding is um, Deliveroo are are exempt from that at the moment. So if you're a, a gig taxi driver, then you get um, employed. They, they have to give you employment rights. Um, if you're a gig delivery, uh, food delivery driver or, or biker or whatever, mm-hmm. um, then, then they don't. 
So Uber taxi drivers get employment rights, but Uber Eats drivers don't. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an ongoing, um, you know, there's lots of kind of ongoing court cases and um, and arguments and counter arguments around it. But I think the, the, the direction of travel is very, very clear in terms of, um, you know, more employment rights for gig workers. Yes, yes. Well, and here's here's what I think is important from the article. Quote, the employment relationship in the end is who owns the digital tool. As long as Glovo owns the application and its algorithm, which are the means to connect clients and writers and calculate the prices of the delivery, even if these can be slightly adjusted, there will be subordination and thus an employment relationship. That to me, whoever owns the tech in this case, uh, which means you can't subcontract this shit, you can't do anything outside the lines, which it sounds like Uber and some of these uh, companies are going to try to do, uh, but it doesn't sound like they're going to be able to because they own the tech. So to me, one of the things that stood out from these this variety of stories is when I think about how uh, who would most mirror America, it's the Spain response. If 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 this ever became law in the U.S., you would see companies pull out of certain states. You would see uh, third parties come in to alleviate sort of the direct relationship. Um, every we would do everything possible to skirt the law, and we see this in the trucking industry here, because you know today when someone goes through trucking school and get they get their license, they get the opportunity to either be a full time employee or be their own driver, and they are they are highly uh, encouraged to be their own boss to have their own have their own truck to went to which they get their own LLC. They get their own truck, which then they have to pay money on, and then they invoice the trucking company and, and become their own own uh, basically company. Um, America is going to skirt this as much as possible if it becomes law. Although I think there's a culture here of sort of rugged independence uh, that people are that this isn't going to happen other than states like California, Washington, New York, maybe. But I think the Spain example is what really stood out to me. It sounds like from uh, Matt's comment in the UK, to me, it sounds like the taxi union is just a lot stronger uh, than the other union for uh, Uber Eats or whatever it was. And that's why that became the situation in the UK. Am I am I off base on that or am I right on? It's, some, it's something to do. There's a technicality about whether you can substitute, um, substitute riders um, so there's kind of a legal, um, a, a legal kind of loophole around it. Mm-hmm. I think Deliveroo went public in the UK actually a few months ago. I can't. Deliveroo quite... is based in the UK, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so interestingly, um, yeah, Deliveroo was it's either has or has gone. You know, is is going for an IPO, and so there was a, um, you know, there might be question marks about the the, the UK government's hand in this, in terms of. Uh, you know, a, a US company, uh, you know, having to uh, having to abide by employment law, but a, a UK a UK one uh, not having to. So I, I don't know. It's interesting. Am I, am I right in saying that the the taxi union or there's a taxi union in the UK and it's probably really strong and influential? Uh, there, there's lots of things going on. So it varies from city to city. Okay. Um, so taxis are licensed on a on a kind of a city basis. So what we were finding before this before this ruling that the, was that the rules for Uber were different in different uh, UK cities. Um, so at one point Uber lost its license completely in London because of some of its working practices, but it appealed it and um, 
um, appealed it and got it back. Yep. Um, and then Uber in other British cities has to work a slightly different way. So um, it's it's not kind of one all-powerful union. It's lots of different um, different kind of regulations. And it's because taxis, um, taxis are licensed by the local government or the city council effectively. And Uber are constantly arguing that they're not a taxi service, and and that's kind of what it comes down to. Obviously, in London, you've got um, the the you know the the black cab the black cabs who mm-hmm. have been uh, you know very very vocal in their opposition to 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 Uber, sure. um, and you know they have to abide by. Uh, you know, a number of uh, rules and regulations and Uber and Uber didn't. So it, it's kind of an argument that's been th- sort of happening on a on a city by city basis in terms of whether Uber is a taxi service and should be licensed accordingly. Um, and the employment workers rights thing is is actually almost a separate national issue about the definition of the gig economy and who is a um who is a who's actually an employed worker and who's a just a you know just a contractor or yeah. someone using using a platform to to, to uh, you know to, to find bits and pieces of work so so leaving as our token belgian uh do you have a take on the uh the taxi federation's lawsuit uh does does the taxi union uh, have a really strong presence in belgium what's your take on on their their case well, they succeeded in blocking Uber for quite a long time. When I go to Paris, because our uh, we've got offices in Paris, we always take Uber. But in Belgium, we used to take taxis until very recently. It was just illegal to take an Uber. And um, there have been some cases. <laughs> uh, Matt said something about uh, taxi drivers being vocal. That's still okay. In Belgium, they were pretty aggressive, not only vocal. Uh, they the taxi driver called an Uber, and when the Uber guy came, they kicked his ass until all <laughs> Uber, Uber drivers gave up. Wow, that's that sounds like olden days kind of union disputes the and shit. streets of Belgium. Yeah. The scabs, baby. They pulled yeah. the scabs in. So here's a question. Now that these individuals are employees, how do you know if they're not gaming the system and running like all three different apps? And is it okay just as long as you log enough time per app? I mean, th- this starts to create different rules in the gigging landscape, right? So, so what, what does that what does that mean? Do we know? Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting. And you know, this is a these are relatively new rulings. Um, uh, you know, this this is not over yet. <laughs> this is going to run and run. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out, but this will be back in the courts before too long. And we'll be watching. All right, guys, let's get to uh, a startup in the UK. Uh, Matt, this is in your lane. We we customize our shows for our guests, if you didn't know that. So UK-based rec tech startup Applied, known for its unbiased hiring service, has introduced a job board feature to build up its database of applicants. Founded in London in 2015, Applied replaces resumes with assessments and provides end-to-end recruitment services to employers and recruiters. Applied has raised around $6.6 million U.S. so far, in addition to not requiring gender, age, ethnicity, and other characteristics when applying. The solution also considers other ATS-led data science for anonymous skill-based hiring. Applied says predictive validity of its work sample tests, structured interviews, and cognitive ability tests are far better than the old school resume-based shortlisting approach based on education, reference checks, and years of experience. 
Listeners might remember Junco raising $10 million, uh, the acquisition of diversity jobs by Circa, and the merger of WayUp and Yellow. So is diversity recruiting here to stay, or will it eventually go the way of Facebook's new Ray-Bans? Matt, <laughs> another UK story, baby. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Uh, you cover it all on this show, don't you? Everything from, um, I'd wish I'd, I wish I'd researched, um, a UK city taxi licensing before I, <laughs> before I came on. And I could have given you a more, um, a more definitive I'm kinda, answer. I'm kind of glad that you didn't, to be quite frank. <laughs> <laughs> and so are the listeners. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was recording another podcast. I just didn't have time. I just didn't have time. No um, yeah, I've not, uh, I've, I've not come across this, um, uh, this, this particular solution before. It sounds it sounds interesting. Uh, obviously, there is uh, huge investment in these kind of tools going on um, all over the, all over the world at the moment. Uh, like with anything, I would be interested in case studies and how that's worked in practice. One of the uh, things that worries me slightly um, about the um, proliferation of um, you know in investment in tools in the the sort of the, the front end of the funnel is organizations uh, thinking they can solve uh, diversity diversity in their in, in their company by ticking a box and buying a buying a technology solution um, rather than addressing it much more strategically and looking at equity and inclusion and um, you know everything across their across their across their business so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not I'm not as I say I'm not familiar with the organization I'd be very interested to um, to, to find out more, but I would hope that this was a tool that was used as part of uh, a much broader corporate strategy rather than um, looking at it as a, as a tick box or a, or a silver bullet. Yeah, DEI is fashion forward, baby. It's the new AI. Everybody's doing it. U.S.-based Canvas today actually announced they received $50 million in funding with a valuation of $400 million. There's nothing more sexy than DEI right now, kids. Uh, companies are- cash. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> They're getting cash because- uh, they know that there are more restrictions. Uh, SEC just actually made some changes to uh, reporting information. So in, instead of just reporting in the U.S., uh, what your workforce, the, the number of employees you have in your workforce, they're starting to focus on diversity as well. So workforce composition, what do you need? You need platforms that focus on diversity to actually get them into your organization, not to mention also analytics, so on and so forth. But there are a few things that we have to focus on. Number one, companies who have been putting on a good show, like they always have, waving the diversity banner, saying they love diversity with no hiring outcomes, shitty retention, uh, or no promotions of underrepresented individuals, they're the ones who are going to get they're the ones who are are clamoring to buy something quick and they feel like it's a silver bullet like i think matt was talking about and none of this is because it's all about the company the practices and the purpose that they're putting out there so you know this is i think it's awesome for applied i'm not a big believer in their tech there are some there's some holes in it but I, i would love to see it get a demo of it but overall man dei is it yeah, I think uh, I like to say on the show that the answer to all of your questions is money. Not only money going into these companies, but budgets being allocated at companies to buy products and services and to to you know hypercharge 
activities at companies and initiatives to actually see change um, at organizations. And certainly my question, I guess, would be certainly in the in the states, we've had a long, uh, complicated history uh, with slavery and, and race relations with Europe, which Europe hasn't quite had. Uh, the same amount of, of complications or history. So for us, I think there's a lot of this being uh, really important and really uh, a focal point for organizations and, and our, our country. I'm curious from the Europeans on the show, how important is it? Is it as important in their world as it probably is in ours? I mean, George Floyd was killed in, in Minnesota and I know that the echoes of that went around the world, but I don't know to what degree it is in Europe. So I'd love some some sort of color around around that from our Europeans. I think it's less important still than it is in the U.S. And it's kind of being forced upon us from the U.S. But um, there are many differences between the eastern part of Europe and the western part. Mm-hmm. We in the western part feel it's important and we should be doing something with it. And we are slowly getting there. But in the more Eastern European countries, people just don't take it. They don't want it. And each company should be able to decide for themselves. That's what they feel to hire who they want. And uh, it's getting even more right wing than it's going towards DEI. Interesting. When you say forced on you by, did you say by America or America's companies? Uh, both. I think it's uh, the public yeah. opinion is slowly getting steered by. You call it Californication. Uh, <laughs> that's really. That's an interesting way of putting it. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So, so you believe a lot of your diversity initiatives are being driven by the US? I think so. Yeah. It's incredibly important in the UK, um, and and has been for you know has been for a number of years, but has it's obviously been particularly amplified in the last couple of years. But it, it's you know something every single employer is is looking at very very carefully and very very strategically and trying to try and do better are they addressing it properly and solving the problems probably not but but in terms of um the the way it's talked about and how seriously it's taken it's uh, it, it's incredibly important are you seeing budgets allocated in with your with uh uk companies yeah like it absolutely. is here yeah, yeah. okay Dude, fashion forward. The only thing I've got to I've got to say is that any hiring company who wants to stamp out bias and they think tech is the answer, they're going to be wrong. They they've got to get an expert in there. It's just like the tech stack. It's a part of the tech stack. You've got to get in there, focus on process methodologies. You've got to focus on job descriptions, the very basics of what we've been doing wrong for decades. Help. That's what we have to do. We can't think that the silver bullet's going to get it done. So we have to use these tools in the right way. And that the only way we do that is to get experts in the room to be able to help us do that, to navigate through uh, and get these these hires, better retention and promotions with the, in the organization. Amen. Well, I learned a lot today. I hope you guys did and our listeners did too. Big thanks to Matt, that British guy, Alder, for joining yes. us. Matt, where can listeners find out more about you? They can, you can find me on LinkedIn, obviously, but you can find my podcast at recruitingfuture.com. Awesome. Boys, another one in the books. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know. And yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. 
Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.